Welcome to the Rocky Messages Podcast. Rocky is a community of believers that want to know Jesus and love like him. If there's something today that you'd like more of, make sure you listen to our weekly podcast, Rocky Unscripted. This is where we take topics and go even further with conversation, research, and study. But for now, let's listen to this week's message. Amen. Man, church, that's good. If you're here in the room, you can... Take a seat if you're online joining us. Man, super good to have you with us. And then our Frederick campus joining us live. Great to be together with, with all of you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to get to Daniel chapter 3. We're going to be tracking in an Old Testament book today. And I want you to think about this as you get there. When was the last time that you were at an airport? Like it could be DIA. It could be any airport because it always happens the same. I want you to think about this decision that you have to make. So you're getting to the airport, you get on the train, and whether you're going on the train to get to your gate or you're coming back from your gate to get to like the baggage claim or the pickup area, you're always faced with a decision. And here's the decision. Like, do I take the elevator? Do I take the escalator? Or do I take the stairs? Like, think about that for a moment, because it always happens the same way. It doesn't even have to be in an airport. Anytime you got to change floors, whether it be in a store or whatever, and you're faced with that decision, how many people actually take the, the elevator? Like, what percentage? It's like 1%, right? Like, 1% of people take the elevator, and it's probably because of a reason of they've got, like, a stroller or, or they've got, you know, like, some physical thing that's going on, and they take the escalator. How many, or uh, the elevator, how many people actually take the escalator? Like the other 99% take the escalator, don't they? Like when you're a DIA, it always cracks me up. When you're a DIA, you can just see people when they're coming back on the train and they're ready to head to baggage or pickup. And it, when we get like to, you know, like the drop off A area, like people just start getting like antsy, you know, you get the little, uh, you know, welcome sound, you know, from, from whoever it is. It's like the new quarterback or it's the mayor, whoever, and welcome to DIA and we're going to be arriving soon and everybody's just like in the starting blocks, like ready to go, right? You know what I'm talking about. And those doors open and it is like a mad rush, not for the elevator. It's a mad rush, not for the stairs. It is a mad rush for the escalator. And it's like this amoeba of people. And you realize this, and some of you do this. You're like sideswiping people with your carry-ons to try to get, you know, like two spots further. Everybody goes for the escalator. And why is that? Because the escalator's easy, right? It's easier. It's way more convenient. And, and you just want to get there faster. How many people take the stairs? Like 0% of people actually take the stairs. Now, that's not always true, right? Because if you're on the way to catch your plane, there's always like one person or one family that's late and they're like diving up the stairs or diving down the stairs to try to get there. But reality is this, we usually choose what is easiest and most convenient, which is what most people choose. But the principle in life is true, that usually what's easiest for us, what's most convenient for us in life, is not actually usually the best thing for us in life. I just finished a book, and it's really interesting. The book's by a guy named Rory Vaden. If you've ever heard that name, he's a business guy. He's an entrepreneur. Interesting thing, he's a graduate from Frederick High School, so he's a local kid, knew him when he was growing up, knew his family. He's been extremely successful as an entrepreneur. He wrote a book with the name, you can see it on the screen, Take the Stairs. It is a phenomenal book. Like if you're looking for some motivation in life, looking to get somewhere in life, this book is fantastic and has such an incredible faith element to it because 
Roy's a faith person. He's, he's a Christian. But he writes a book, and he talks about this exact example. That's the reason for the naming the book, Take the Stairs. And he talks about this idea that if you want to be successful at anything in life, you have to be willing to do what no one else is willing to do, or very few are actually willing to do. And then that principle, just, it lands anywhere. Like, it doesn't matter if you're an athlete, an entrepreneur, a business leader, you're a family member, you're, you're a parent, you're a spouse. If you want this great life, you've got to be willing to do some things that most people won't be willing to do. You've got to be willing to take the stairs and maybe take a harder route that's less convenient in the short run, but is so much better in the long run. And faith is no different. Like if you want a faith where, where, where you find peace in the midst of difficulty and trial, you've got to be willing to do some things that other people aren't willing to do. If you, if you, want, to, if you want to find joy that just surpasses all understanding, like the Bible talks about, then you've got to be willing to meet God in some places that are really difficult and allow him to take over in those situations. If you want a prayer life that that sustains you, where you communicate with God, you connect with God, you have a feeling that, hey, the line is open, then you have to be willing to do some things that other people are unwilling to do. Joshua Metcalf says it this way. He says, everybody says they want a great life until it comes to doing what a great life requires. And we know this to be true. And what I find in life, and even sometimes in my own life, there are more escalator, or there are more elevator people there are more escalator people than there are take the stairs people. And the reality is, if we want something more, we gotta be willing to do something more. We start a series today called Even If, and we're gonna try, I'm really excited. We're gonna talk and track through with some, some people in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that lived a lifestyle that was more a take the stairs lifestyle. Like they were willing to do some things even if, and, and I'll give you examples. They were willing to trust even if they didn't know the outcome. That's different than most people. They were willing to obey even when it didn't make sense, even when the pressure was on. They were willing to praise God even if they did not feel like it. They had this even if take the stairs kind of faith that when you look on, on the outside and you just survey these lives and you look at the stories, you're like, man, that's a hard life. Like they were put in some situations that were really difficult, but reality is in life, we will all run into hard. Like we will all run into some hard things in life. And what these people chose is they chose to take the stairs. They chose to trust and to obey and to praise and to give what they had. And even if they couldn't see how it was going to work out. And I think what you end up finding as you study deeper as we get into the series, what you're going to find is you're going to find that these lives, yes, they were risky. Yes, they were hard. Yes, they were difficult. But what you will find is they were incredibly rewarding. And they were incredibly impactful. And what you're also going to find is these were everyday people like you and me. Everyday people that started off, and some of them rose to big situations like we'll talk about today, but they always started off as everyday limited people that God used just like you and me, and they were willing to trust even if, or obey even if, or praise even if. They took the stairs, and God did something great for them. Daniel chapter three, let me give you 
the picture of what we're going to study today. We're going to study three men. These three men in this situation, you may be familiar with them. If you're not, it's okay. These three men were willing to trust. We're going to talk about trust even, when they di- even if they didn't know the outcome. That's a difficult thing. Think about a situation you've been in in your life. If you haven't been in one, you will be one at some point where you were faced with the decision, do I trust even if I don't know what God's going to do? Most people take the escalator. God calls us to take the stairs. The setup is this. King Nebuchadnezzar in 605 BC walked into Israel and he conquered Israel. He tore down the temple. He burned it. He, he, he basically destroyed the, the city of Jerusalem and he took over, in every sense of the word, he took over Israel. And what King Nebuchadnezzar would do, because he was the leader of the known world, I mean, this was the baddest guy around, he was the most powerful guy around, he, he, he basically was going into every country he could to expand his kingdom, he wanted the entire world. He was very smart. He would walk in and he would take over a place like Israel and he would look and find the best of the best. Now understand, they were everyday people, but he would go to these teenage young men and their families, and he would pick out, between 15 and 20 years old, he would pick out the most talented. Now they were everyday kids, like any other kid, but he would go in and he would say, these kids physically, these young men um, emotionally, these young men intellectually, these are the ones that I think are going to grow into something, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take them, and he would take them to Babylon. Basically, it was cultural indoctrination. They would indoctrinate the values the history, the beliefs, the religion, everything into these young men. And what they would do is take the best of the best of those and they would send them back to their countries. They would put them in charge there and they would pay them so much money. They would take care of them in so many different ways that there's no way they had everything in life. They would look back at Nebuchadnezzar and say, man, I don't know if I like that guy, but he's giving me everything and I'm not going against him. So this is the way he would keep the peace and bring the culture of Babylon into these different areas. So there was these four young men. Four young men. You recognize the name Daniel. There was a guy named Hananiah. There was a guy named Mishael. And there was a guy named Azariah. You probably recognize them by their given Babylonian names that were given in worship to the Babylonian gods as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay, pretty famous story. If you don't know the story, it's all right. We're going to talk about it. But these four men were taken as some of the best. They went to Babylon, they did so well in this cultural indoctrination process that here's what happened. The best of the best, what Nebuchadnezzar would do is he would take them and he would keep them in Babylon and he would put them in charge of different areas in Babylon. So what it says is that Daniel basically had risen to the level of being a governor. We'll hear where that stands in the kingdom in a second. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were his advisors. Chapter three, here's what happens. King Nebuchadnezzar, starting verse one, made an image of gold. Now catch this. He's the king. He wants everybody to be watching him. He says, the King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and six, feet, or six cubits wide. And he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. Now, catch one thing. The list of leaders is listed in Babylon in history of, the, of their importance. So understand where 
Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are. They were captured at probably 15 to 17 years old. This is 15 years later. They're in their early 30s, and they have risen to the spot where there are satraps, prefects, and governors. Daniel was a governor. These were his three advisors. They're pretty high up. Now, think about what's going on here. Nebuchadnezzar had set up a statue that's 90 feet tall. So in cubits, you put that down a feet, it's 90 feet tall, and it's nine feet wide. Heads up, if you have to make a statue to yourself 90 feet tall and nine feet wide, you got problems, okay? Like, and, and the diagnosis is pretty easy. We could save the money from going to counseling, doing all the tests. You are a narcissist. Like, that, that's exactly what's going on here. Like, there's no question about it. If you just track the rest of the stories in Scripture about Nebuchadnezzar, he is one of the most prideful, self-centered, narcissistic people you're going to find in Scripture. And it comes around and bites him constantly. Like, it gets in his way constantly. And so the plan is this. He makes the statue. He sets it up in the plain. He calls all of his leaders from even countries around. And he brings them all back. And he says, here's what's going to happen. I'm the king. Like, you're supposed to worship me as a god. So here's what will happen. Um, the anthem will play. And when it plays... Everyone in the kingdom will bow down, and if you don't bow down, you will be thrown into the fiery furnace. So, the anthem plays. Everybody bows down, except you know who. And so, what happens in this story is the other people, probably a few lower level people from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, go to the king, and you know how they start off, man. They start off and they're like, oh, king, this was a great moment. Like, this was amazing. You set up your statue and, and look at what happened, man. The music played. And oh, king, when that did and everybody, that happened and everybody bowed down, it was incredible. And Nebuchadnezzar's just like, hey, more. Just, just keep telling me more. Tell me more. And so they just butter him up. And you know what they're doing. They're ready for that moment where they say, but. And they just land the plane. And it gets back in verse 12 and it says, but there are some Jews, and you hear the jealousy, right? But there are some Jews who, who you, they put it back on King Nebuchadnezzar, who you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, king, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you set up. There are three kinds of people in this world, and you've seen this before. There are stuck-up people. There are suck-up people. And there's some stand-up people. And we got all three in this story. You got Nebuchadnezzar. He's the stuck-up, narcissistic, everybody look at me. You got these followers that are just kind of sucking up, just trying to get a little further up the escalator, you know, into a new position, a different position. They're pointing these guys out. And then you got stand-up guys. You got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who had been given Babylonian names in reference to their gods who have been enculturated and culturally indoctrinated with all the values, history, religion, everything. And yet still, these guys, in the midst of all that they might lose, these guys were stand-up guys. They did not bow. And you gotta ask yourself why. And, and I think there's a principle that these guys understood that tells you why. You see, if you go back to Daniel chapter 1, they were brought to the palace, and there's this moment where they are asked to do some things that are against Jewish values. 
Like against the laws that were set up in Deuteronomy that God said, hey, this will help you be more successful. This will help you be healthier. All of these things, very different from the Babylonians. And so they were asked to eat some things and to drink some things. And they said, no. Now they were respectful. They went to the guards and the leaders and they said, hey, we can't do this because of our religion. Are you okay if we try something? Like they kind of bartered with him. They're like, hey, let's just make a bet here. If we do this for a month and we eat only the things that we're supposed to eat, vegetables and water, there was other things they could eat, but they said just put it at vegetables and water. We don't drink the wine. We don't eat, eat the pork. We don't do some of the other things that you're asking us to do. And the guy's like, we can't do that. Nebuchadnezzar is gonna be ticked. If all you eat is vegetables, if you're gonna be vegan guy, you know, if you're gonna do that and all you eat is that, you're gonna do it all the way to nothing and And they're going to be angry, and I'll be in trouble. And they're like, hey, let's just try it. And they tried it. The end of the month, they were the strongest, the smartest, the most capable of all of the men who had been captured. And see, what they saw in chapter 1, then what they saw again in chapter 2, and what they had seen over and over is this principle. Why were they able to stand? Because they believed that when you put everything in God's hands, you eventually see God's hands in everything. We talk about trust and this idea of trusting even if. Man, what is a person who trusts even if? They don't know the outcome. They don't know how things are going to go. They don't know what the consequences will be. You only do that if you believe that, man, if I put this in God's hands, he's going to put his hands in this story somewhere. And so they stood on what they'd seen in the past. And they said, we're not bowing. Now, interesting enough, why did they not bow? We know why they were able to stand, but why did they not bow? Because The edict that the king gave went against two of the values or two of the Ten Commandments that they stood for. Even 15 to 17 years later, Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, first commandment. What does it say? You shall have no other gods before me. Second commandment, Exodus chapter 20, verse 4, you shall not make for yourself an image. You shall not bow down to them, not worship them, for the Lord your God I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. You see, I think we look at the culture in Babylon, we look at the culture today, and it's no different, and it's never been any different. There's always forces that are going against us, trying to indoctrinate us against the truth of God, against the values of God, against the commands of God. There are always things. And I think what God's looking at for all of us, what he's saying is, man, if you're going to trust me, even if, what you need to be is you need to be a person who is willing to stand even if the pressure to compromise is great. And the pressure to compromise, man, it's there. Like you pick your store, you pick your your location, like you pick your environment. Every single one of us has a story where we're standing there and it's this, hey, will you bow down moment? And there's the question of like, do we take the escalator and just go with it? Or do we take the stairs and we do something different than everybody else is willing to do? Man, I remember a specific story. I was a freshman in high school. I'll warn you because it sounds like Saved by the Bell after school special. You know, we've all had this moment kind of thing. But it was really like the pressure for me to compromise in this moment was significant um, because I had just moved. And I had moved a couple times in life, and here's what I figured out when I moved um, as a young person, even in elementary school, and later elementary school, then into middle school, now into my freshman year of high school, I had figured out that sports was my thing. And I was, I was not great, but I was decent enough 
to come in to get noticed and to make friends that way. So that was my end. Like my end, because you know every kid, when transition happens and you move, you're looking for your way to find your people, to fly under the radar, that kind of deal. Well, I walked in and I made some buddies because of basketball um, with some other athletes. Someone played on the football team, someone played on the baseball team. There's a particular guy named Jason I became great friends with. And he was an incredible athlete, but he was from a really rough family and difficult things. And, and I remember just hanging out with him a lot. And, and I went over to his house one night. I'm staying. And, uh, and it's the classic thing that happens, right? We're hanging out really late. It's after midnight. His parents had one parent home and the other was gone and, and like didn't really care what we did. And so we're there and we're watching stuff, hanging out. And his brother comes home from Oregon State. And he's got like a six pack of beer in this hand and then he's got a whole box of hard alcohol under his arm in this hand. And it was on guys, it was on. Like, you know, they knew I was a pastor's kid growing up and, and uh, so it was like, hey, what can we do? We're gonna have fun, man, brother's home, we're gonna have fun, we're gonna do this. And the challenge was to try to get me to do the same. And I had said no before, but man, I'm telling you the pressure in this situation, in this moment, it was on and I said no. But the pressure kept coming. And I'm telling you, it was overwhelming. And there was a moment, I, I'll be honest with this, I said no, but there were moments in that time where I'm like, dude, it would be so much easier if I just say yes. And there's like an hour of this, just they're going, they're drinking, they're messing with me. And I'm like, no, man, guys, I don't want to. You guys go ahead. They are pushing. And I am at my end. I am at my end and I am considering saying yes. <laughs> I'm like, if I just say yes, if I just take the escalator, this would be so much easier so much better in the moment. And it was in that moment where the older brother finally looked at him and said, guys, I think he said no like 10 times. Like, stop, leave the kid alone. If he wants to drink, he can. If he doesn't want to, he doesn't have to. And I'm sitting there like, oh, <laughs> thank you in that moment, right? Save me, because I tell you, I was at the edge of just making a bad decision. And while that's like this common story that every single one of us has probably had in high school or in college or whatever it is, and some of us we said yes, some of us said no, whatever it might be, man, you go on later in life and there's so many of those moments. And you see it, there's the moment where you sit in the, the boardroom and you're like, I know that decision we're making, it's not the best decision, that's not integrity. But you don't say anything because it's more comfortable not to say anything and to challenge the integrity of that decision. Man, you choose your spot. In a car with a guy when you're younger and you're saying, man, it's too uncomfortable to say no. You're, you're, you're in a different town. You're on a business trip and you've been confronted with, man, you're lonely. You're sitting there. You're hanging out. You go down to the bar and you're sitting at the bar and you're having a drink and somebody sits down next to you. And there's all these moments in life that take the escalator would be so much easier. But you know what those decisions usually lead to? Taking the stairs is so much harder. But it leads to something different. And in this moment, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had the principle in their mind to say, here's the thing. I will not make this decision because I realize if I trust God enough to put it in his hands, no matter what I feel right now, no matter what I'm afraid the outcome will be, no matter what I experience and the consequences, I believe he's gonna put his hands in this situation. Man, that's hard, that's level up faith. And then they said, we have some values that we've already decided that we're saying, no, we're not gonna make that decision. But you know why I think they actually said no? They had values. 
They had seen what God had done, but you know what they had in that moment? They had each other. Like, think about this for a second. In that moment, like when the music started playing, what if like Shadrach would have been standing there all by himself? Like if no, nobody else is there, if he's just the one guy standing there, do you wonder if there'd be a, like a different decision that was actually made if he was the only one? I think those guys stood there together and they had decided already because they knew the edict that had come down. They probably talked about it and they had said to each other, guys, here's what we're gonna do. We're not gonna bow. And when they stood there and that music started, man, they put their shoulders back and they stood there whether they locked arms or they just did that figuratively in their minds together and they're like, we ain't bowing. Don't bow. Don't you bow. Man, we're standing no matter what happens. We are standing. And I think there's a lot of us in life, the reason maybe we bow is not because we don't have values, not because we haven't seen God do things in the past, but sometimes we're going it alone. And God's like, you need a squad. (laughs) And if you got a squad, if you got people, if you got the three or you got the two or whoever it is that you believe in, that know you, that you stand together, that you have the same values, and you know I'm accountable to that person and I don't want to tell that person I bow there's a whole lot better chance that we stand in those moments. The story goes on and Nebuchadnezzar is, uh, he's not happy. <laughs> he's not happy. It says furious with rage. Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? that you do not serve my gods or, or worship the image of gold I've set up. Like King Nebuchadnezzar is angry here. He is furious with rage. You don't say no to this guy, but these guys are valuable. They're some of his best. And so he, he actually, in the story, he gives him a second chance. He's like, I don't wanna lose these guys. So maybe I'll just give him a second chance and we'll see what happens. And here's where the pressure really gets hot. In verse 15, it says, now when you hear the sound, he says, I'm gonna give you a second chance. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image of gold that I made, very good. Like, that's the right decision. You better choose that. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? And this is the moment in life This is the escalator moment versus the stair moment. This is the moment where like, if I choose that, the discomfort of that is too much. You see, what we do is we choose so many times. We choose, we look at, and we have the fear of discomfort ends up outweighing our commitment to trust God, even if. And so we don't say it in the boardroom. We don't say no. We don't say, hey, I'm happily married. And and you know what? I got values and I... We don't say, because the fear of saying no to someone or the fear of doing something different outweighs our commitment to stand strong. Here's what I believe. We got a value around our house and it's not because we get it right all the time. It's because we have to remind ourselves that this is the right way to live. We have a value around ourselves where we talk about, we say to our kids, we say, hey, more years people, we do hard things. Like we do hard things. It's not because in every moment we, do, we choose the hard thing and we get it right. It's because we need to be reminded like that's a value that we've got to choose because harder is usually better. We do hard things. 
And I believe you will get it right more often than not. We go a little further with that value when you do this. When you choose the hard right over the easy wrong. And you know that to be true. You know that to be true in business. You know that to be true in relationships. You know that to be true when the heat is on and the peer pressure is there. You know that to be true after the fact that the hard right is a whole lot easier than the easy wrong. And usually when confronted with the choice, we don't usually choose the harder thing. Passage goes on, it says in verse 16 through 18, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, and I love this, guys. These may be the, the greatest words of conviction in all of the Old Testament. They look at the king and they say this, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. They don't get angry, they don't scream and yell, they're not fearful. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. He will deliver us from your majesty's hand. And that's what so many of us say, man. We're like in faith, man. It's, it's a good story. Like, because I, I'm, I'm stepping in with my faith and God's going to help me out in this moment. And that's where usually faith is. That's where it lives. God, if you do this, man, I'm all in. Look at their faith. But even if he does not, even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. I think there's three kinds of trust and faith in life. There's a trust that says this, I, I will trust you if. And there's a lot of us that do that, man. We're, we're confronted with difficult situations or hard times. And we're like, God, we start bartering with God. You kind of know this kind of faith when you start doing this. Hey, God, I'll trust you if. Like, if you'll do this for me, I promise I will or I never will again. I don't even think that's faith. Like, the Bible talks about faith is believing what you cannot see. That definition right there that, hey, I'll have faith if, that's not faith. A level up is this. It's, it's I will trust you because and Shadrach Meshach and Abednego had this I will trust you I will trust you because of what I've seen in chapter one man you came you came through for us in chapter two you came through for us we had no idea what was going to happen in the moment but we trusted even if we didn't know the outcome and you showed up there's a lot of times in life that we should look back to the past and say man I can trust God because he's been faithful now in the moment we had no idea but hindsight way down here is 2020, and we look back and we're like, yes, I should trust God because. Guys, you wanna level up in faith? You wanna really level up in faith? Like, that's good, that's a level up, but you really wanna level up in faith? Then you have this kind of faith that says, I will trust you even if. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were like, God, I'm gonna trust you even if, King, we're trusting that guy because we're with that guy. We're trusting him even if you throw us in the fiery furnace. We're with him. Because we just believe he can do something. Like if we give it to him, he's gonna get his hands in this situation and I don't know what's gonna happen. It may not end up being good for us, but he's gonna use it somehow. Guys, that's a level up different kind of faith when we can start saying, man, I will trust you even if you don't cure me. I will trust you even if I can't pay my bills right now. I will trust you even if I don't know what the outcome of this situation is gonna be. I will trust you even if the consequences of saying no or the consequences of saying yes are not gonna feel good in the immediate moment. 
I will trust you even if I've experienced loss. I will trust you even if you don't come through exactly the way I want you to come through. Guys, you know the story. The rest of the story goes that it didn't work out great, seemingly. Nebuchadnezzar chucked him in the furnace. They had no idea when when the music played, if God was gonna be with them. They had no idea when Nebuchadnezzar went postal on them, if God was gonna be with them. But they said, we trust even if, and they got thrown into the furnace. And what does Nebuchadnezzar do? He, he, like, he has these soldiers throw them in. The soldiers that throw them into the furnace, like they get flamed, like they're toast. They get burned alive. Like this isn't just a little candle thing going on here. Like they died. And Nebuchadnezzar is watching this whole thing and he's like looking with all his other leaders and he's checking this out. And then he responds, he's like, I see something. Verse 24 says, then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and he asked the other advisors, weren't there three men that were tied up and thrown in the fire? They replied, certainly your majesty. He said, look, I, I see four men walking around the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth, I love this, looks like a son of the gods. <laughs> Clue, that's Jesus in there with them, right? The New Testament refers to that idea. This was Jesus in the fire with them. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here, and then all is well, and everything ends good, and they get promoted. And you're going, man, that'd be good. But it doesn't always work out that way, does it? Here's what I think you need to understand and know, is whether you realize it and see it or not, whether the outcome is exactly what you want to see or not, he is with you. They didn't know it when the music played, I said that. They didn't know it when they faced Nebuchadnezzar, they only knew it when they were in the fire. And the interesting thing about this passage is God brought them out of the fire unscathed, and wouldn't that be nice in so many of our stories? Here's the problem with our stories. A lot of us look at this kind of story and we're like, well, I don't have that kind of story and it's not there. And we say it's only a good story if it works out the way we want God to work it out. Like how many times have you prayed that? And I've prayed it too, man. There's been some hard things in life that I'm praying and saying, God, and in the moment you're like, you're not coming through the way I want you to come through and this is not a good story. Here's the problem. It doesn't always work out that way with God. And I want you to think about this for a moment. Would it still have been a good story even if they were thrown into the fiery furnace and Jesus didn't show up? Could it still be a story? Would it still be a story? Think about this for a moment. This is hard to think about. This is tough stuff. This is deep. Could it still have potential to be a good story Even if Nebuchadnezzar chucked them in the fire and they were burned alive. The reality of this is I think in the situation they were in, it still could be. Like I actually wonder if in the book of Daniel, we'd still be reading this passage. Because guys, we think about it. We look at Paul, we look at Peter, we look at the disciples. We we look at Stephen in the book of Acts and we're like, man, incredible stories. And guess what? They were all martyrs for their faith. You see, trusting God is is hard to trust God even if, but here's what's even harder, is to not 
have a God to trust in the even if moments. And if you don't have faith in God and you run into your problems and issues and life and circumstances, which you will, and you don't have a God like that, that whether you realize it or not, that he's actually in the fire. There's, the Bible says so many times, fear not. And what's the very next words? I am with you. And guys, that's the difference maker. That's the difference maker. Like that's the level up. That's when God can really do something with a story no matter what the circumstances are. Because you look at over and over in scripture and not every story turns out well, but the places where you see it being impactful for God using it and transforming people into all he's created them to be, even if their story eventually doesn't end up the way you would write that story, is every single one of them had one thing in common. They said, we're with that guy. Like, Taking the escalator would be so much easier, but God ain't on the escalator. He's on the stairs, and he's in the middle of the hard things with us, and he's in the middle of the difficult things with us, and he says, here's the deal. You trust me even if, and you give me everything in this moment, even when you're like, God, I hate what's going on. Some of you are like, I hate you in this moment. He's a big God. He can take it. He says, but still, even if, I'm with you, even if you feel that way about me, but you give this to me, and here's the deal. I can still put my hands in this situation and write a good story. 2000, January 2000, I remember when Jen got, my wife got diagnosed with cancer. That was hard. You know what would have been so much harder is not having a God to trust in those moments that were difficult. We sat on the porch a couple days ago, and she made the statement, she said, man, I just, I tell you, some of the greatest things God's done in our life has been in some of the hardest moments of our life. I wonder what he's just got next. Sat with a family yesterday, 55-year-old man, losing his battle with cancer. Teenage boys, teenage girl. And you want to look at that story in the midst of like 24-hour period of life, and it's, it's a horrible story. A guy who's been incredibly faithful to God. He's an amazing man with incredible courage. Any guy would want to be like this guy. And you're like, God, this is difficult. And you look at that within that 24-hour or seven-day weeks span, and you're like, this is so huge. This is debilitating, and it is. Do not let me diminish that. But you take that issue in a series of a lifetime, and you have faith, and you look at how God can do in a story. There's still potential for that story to be an amazing story. For even those teenage boys who are going to grow into men, who are growing into men, and his, their dads have prepared them for this. In life, God can still do an amazing thing through this story. If you take that story and you put it in the context of eternity, because if you don't have faith and you don't believe in eternity, I don't know how you get through. Because trusting God is hard in the difficult times. But you look at that in the perspective of eternity, it makes it easier. And my encouragement to you is just to ask yourself today, man, what do I need to give to an even if God? Because he's right here with me in this moment and maybe I walk right into the fire, into the difficulty and I say, God, I'm trusting you even if, and I just believe because I chose to be with him that he can write a good story. And it may be difficult for me, but it may be life-changing for somebody else. It still can be a good story. Man, you put everything in God's hands, he eventually gets his hands in every part of your life. Let's pray. Father, I, I 
I know there are some people sitting here today that just need to say, God, here's what I need to give you. And I know there's some that are having a hard time trusting that. And that's okay. Father, I pray that we would look at Scripture and we would remember even Jesus had an even if moment. But he said, God, even if this is going to be hard, even if the next 24 hours are going to be so incredibly difficult, even if I'm going to die, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus, thank you for that sacrifice, and I pray that it will give us the confidence that you have given us your spirit, and we can choose to trust even if. Father, help us to give those things to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.